0: Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to be here with all of you. I'm James, one of the pastors on staff here at Faith. And this is our third and final week of a series that we have been doing called Winning the War in Your Mind. And in this series, we have been talking about what it looks like to fight for a healthy and godly thought life because we know that our lives move in the direction of our strongest thoughts. And that is why it's so critical for us to fight to win the war in our minds. Now, some of you may know this, but Meredith and I have a bunch of pets. Uh, We've got two dogs and two cats, and we do a lot of vacuuming. And uh, I'm gonna do a little anthropomorphizing here, but one of our dogs, his name is Emmett. Everyone say, aww. (laughs) Emmett is the happiest creature on earth. Every person that he meets is his absolute favorite person ever. And every toy that we give him is his favorite toy ever. And he is incapable of standing around. He has to wag everywhere he goes. And every single day for Emmett is his favorite day ever. He's just the happiest dog imaginable. Now, our cat, his name is Grindelwald. And uh, yep, there he is. Grindelwald is different. Grindelwald lives in the exact same circumstances as Emmett. He's got a warm house, he gets fed at regular intervals, he has toys to play with, humans who try to care for him, and while his circumstances are pretty much the same as Emmett's, instead of being the happiest creature to ever live, Grindelwald is, uh, let's just say he's persnickety. He's always waiting for an opportunity to bite me or to knock my stuff off a shelf. And every time I express affection to Grindelwald, he looks at me like he is going to murder me in my sleep. (laughs) Same circumstances, totally different ways of experiencing them. Now, I wonder how many of us are more like my cat than my dog we could be in circumstances that are really pretty good, well-fed, warm house, friends that care about us, but for some reason, we still find something to complain about, something negative to think about, or some way of ruining our experiences for ourselves and for others. In this series, we've been talking about how our minds are a battlefield And the truth is that most of life's battles are won or lost in our minds. And one of those major battles that many of us face is the battle for our negative thoughts. Whether it's that we struggle with being overly critical or we get into that spiral of self-defeating thoughts or we let our worry ruin everything or maybe it's catastrophizing that we struggle with. Persistent negative thinking can often keep us from the lives that we want and the life that Jesus wants for us. Because here's something that tends to be true. The way we experience life is often a result of what goes on in our minds. Even the best of circumstances can't make us happy when our minds are always negative. And the opposite is true as well. Even if we're living in less than ideal circumstances, If we learn to win the war in our minds, we can still experience peace and joy and meaningful relationships and contentment. And here's the point. It's not always what happens to us in life that determines how we experience it. It actually has a lot more to do with the way that we think about our circumstances. Because the way that we think about our circumstances changes the way that we experience them. That's why this passage in 2 Corinthians is so important. The Apostle Paul, he wrote, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. What's a stronghold? Well, it's a wrong pattern of thinking that's established itself. It's a pattern of thinking that has walled itself off in our minds that tries to shape the way that we live. Paul goes on to say, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. What's it mean to take a thought captive? Well, it means that we work to be intentional about the way that we think about our life so that the way that we're thinking about our life is the way that Jesus wants us to think about our life, and it shapes the way that we live in the way that Jesus wants it to. Part of experiencing life as Jesus wants us to is learning to take every thought captive and make it obedient to him. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're talking about how to reframe the way that we see our lives so that we can take those negative thoughts and make them obedient to Christ. But before we dive into that, let's just take a few minutes and pray together. Lord, we are thankful for another chance to gather, to learn, to sing songs, to spend time with people that care about us and that we care about. But Lord, we do have some things on our mind that we want to bring before you. We think of... um, our neighbor city, Oxford, and the high school students going back into the high school this week, we ask that you give them comfort and peace as they walk back into a school that has a lot of bad memories and trauma for them. We pray for our families who are struggling with COVID. Help them recover quickly, Lord. Let it not be so disruptive that it sends them into a a negative spiral. And Lord, we think about our families this week that lost loved ones. Think about the Lindemans and the Sellers as they're both mourning the loss of a parent. We ask that you be present in their lives and give them comfort and wisdom as they navigate the next weeks and months. And Lord, we pray for our church as we think about who we want to invite to our series next week. Give us boldness to invite people. Work in the hearts of those that we're going to be inviting to make them want to come. And I pray specifically for... um, my neighbors that I want to invite, Eric and Amy, that you be at work in their lives so that as we invite them, they may attend. I pray this all in your name, amen. Like I said last week, this series, it's based on a book by Craig Groeschel, and in that book, he uses this illustration, which I absolutely love. He says, imagine that you go to a party with a friend, and just before you go into the house, your friend grabs you, looks you in the eye, and says, you do know that everyone at this party thinks you're an idiot, right? Well, you're shocked. You had no idea that anyone thought of you that way, let alone the people who are attending this party. Now, everything at this party is going to seem different to you now. If the host forgets to take your coat, you know why. She obviously thinks you're an idiot and wants you to leave. And if you see two people whispering to each other and laughing you know why they're laughing. It's obviously because you're an idiot and you did something dumb. Or if your friend wants to leave early, you know what's going on. He's embarrassed to be seen with you and wants to leave because you're such an idiot. Well, you leave the party and your friend says, did you believe that whole spiel I told you? You give him a a confused look and he says, gotcha, no one actually thinks you're an idiot. But because you went into that party with that assumption it changed the way that you looked at everything. Here's why this illustration matters for us. Things happen to us in life, whether we realize it or not, that filter the way that we see the world and end up distorting how we experience life. Because of the things that we've experienced or learned, we can all be exposed to the same circumstances that everyone else around us is exposed to and have a totally different experience with them. Sometimes this is called cognitive bias. Cognitive bias is when our personal experiences or preferences cause us to perceive things in a way that's not always accurate or reflective to the true circumstances. It's kind of like um, a photograph filter on your phone. I can take a picture but expose it to a different filter and the result is that I feel differently about the original than I do the filtered version. Take this picture of Meredith and I as an example. I like this picture. It reminds me of a great trip that we took. It evokes a lot of fond feelings. I like the way that my wife looks in it. But if I use a different filter, maybe something like this, it totally changes how I see that photo. I see this picture differently. Same picture, different filter. When I switch the filter, it changes how I perceive the picture. We all have a set of preset filters that we see the world through so that we might see the same facts as other people, but our filter changes how we experience and perceive those facts. You've seen this happen. Just think about two people who show up to the exact same worship service. They sing the same songs, they hear the same message, they talk to the same people, they drink the same coffee, and one of those people leaves church saying, wasn't it awesome today? I learned so much, I sang awesome songs. Man, isn't it good to gather with my friends at church? I am so glad I went. But the other person says, that pastor's shirt was wrinkly. And the greeter, coffee breath all the way, And I prefer my sanctuary a little bit colder because it keeps the person next to me from sweating and smelling like body odor. Each person experienced the exact same things, but because their filters were different, one had a great experience and the other walked away grumpy. A person's filter can distort their experiences and ruin them. Or think about the workplace. Uh, I had this friend when I worked at Steak and Shake who got fired because she was late for her shifts all the time, and what was interesting is how radically different our perceptions were of why she got fired. From her perspective, the issue wasn't that she literally had never shown up to life or to work on time in her entire life. The issue was that management had been out to get her from the day she started. She may have never been on to, to work on time, but that's not the real reason. The real reason is that that dang manager had it in for her that he never liked her and he wanted her gone. That's why she got fired. But from my perspective, and the perspective of pretty much everyone else, she just wasn't really that good of an employee, and she never showed up to work on time. But here's the deal. She grew up in a setting where literally no one around her wanted to help Life had thrown everything it had at her. Of course she was going to feel like people were out to get her. She had a preset filter that changed the way that she saw the facts. Same facts, but because of the filter, different perception. It's actually a great story in the Bible that illustrates this. Uh, Just as a bit of context for this story, Moses and the Israelites, they're camped out on the border of the promised land. They haven't gone in yet. And Moses, he decides to send 12 spies into the promised land to bring back a report of what it's like. Here's how Numbers 13 describes it. When Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, go up through the Jejev and into the hill country. See what the land is like, whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of lands do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How's the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees in it or not? Do your best to even bring back some fruit of the land. So they went up and explored the land from the desert of Zin as far as Rehob towards Labo Hamath. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh and the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here's the fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. And all the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. You see, all the spies saw the same thing. They saw bountiful resources, they saw the cities, they saw the people living there, and almost all of the spies proclaimed, there is no hope, there are giants in the land, they're powerful, and they will crush us like little tiny grasshoppers. But Caleb, he saw the same facts, but his perception of the circumstances are very different. He says we should go and definitely take possession of the land. The facts were the same, but the filter that most of the spies had caused them to have despair and terror. But the filter that Caleb had was shaped by his trust in God, and it led him to see the circumstances with hope and excitement. The facts were the same. The perception of the facts was different. Here's where this matters for us. We all have some sort of cognitive bias, some way that we see the world, some filter that changes the way that we perceive the world around us. Maybe it's because of your childhood, maybe it's because of what you've learned through hard experiences, or maybe you're just in a bad habit of thinking about things wrongly. But that cognitive bias, that filter, it drastically changes our experience of life. And if my filter is negative and causes me to be overly critical about everything or to distrust everyone or to worry constantly or to expect the worst and see the bad in everything, then it is really hard to live out the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control that's supposed to accompany our life with Jesus. Which means, part of being a follower of Jesus is that we have to work at perceiving our lives in a way that helps us live for Jesus and not in a way that keeps us from the type of life that Jesus wants for us. In other words, we need to take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Now, I wanna say this really important point. A lot of times the filters that we see the world through are not our fault. Whether it's from the way that we were raised, something that happened to us or the way we've been treated at work or by a spouse or school. Sometimes our lives do things to us that give us less than helpful filters. But here's something we need to remember. My filters may not be my fault but they are my problem. What I mean when I say this is that your struggle with negative thoughts ruining the way you perceive the world and experience life, it might not be your fault. Things happen to us that we can't control that end up shaping the way we see the world around us. But while that filter might not be our fault, it is still our problem to deal with. And if we want to win the war in our minds, We need to work at changing those broken filters. One of the ways we work at changing our filters, it's through what we call the reframe principle. Here's what I mean when I say the reframe principle. Reframing is creating a different way of looking at a situation or a relationship so that it changes the meaning for us. Check out what I mean. See this picture here? If, My filter makes me focus on only the bad part of this picture. What am I going to feel? Anxiety, anger, sadness, scaredness. That's not really a good emotion, is it? But but if I reframe what I'm looking at to here, it's going to totally change what I perceive. Reframing. It's creating a different way of looking at the situation to change the meaning for us. The point is that we choose to focus, and when we choose what we focus on, it changes how we experience life. The rest of the picture is still here. We don't have to ignore it, but if I only focus here, I'm going to experience it one way. If I change my focus to here, I totally change the way I perceive it. If I'm willing to shift my focus, it changes my experience. And this is so important because you can't control what happens to you, but you can control how you frame it. Now, the Apostle Paul, he's actually a really good example of this. The Apostle Paul, he had this dream of going to Rome where he was going to preach the gospel to the center of the Roman Empire. He knew that if he could get to Rome and really bolster the Jesus movement there, it would have a rippling effect through the entire Roman Empire. So many goods and ideas and people passed through Rome that if he could get the Gentiles to love Jesus, then Christianity would spread everywhere. Well, Paul ended up going to Rome, but it was not under the circumstances that he wanted. He didn't go as a missionary, victoriously sent out by his church. Instead, he went to Rome as a Roman prisoner in chains, looking down the barrel of what would end up being a death sentence and execution. He literally got the opposite of everything that he had hoped for. Now, Paul, he could have framed the situation in two different ways. On the negative side, he could have said, God, what the heck? I have given my entire life to you, I've dealt with these annoying church people who screw up all the time. I mean, have you not read my letter to the Corinthians? And you know, I gave up a lucrative career in Jewish politics for this, and I didn't even get married because I wanted to be able to go wherever you sent me with no strings attached. I have given everything for your mission. And now, for my final chapter, instead of giving me a nice, cushy church job in Rome it has a pleasant congregation and great retirement benefits and a parsonage with views of the city center, instead of that, I'm going to be executed. I'm a prisoner in chains. What the heck? This stinks. I can't believe I wasted my life like that. Paul could have easily framed his circumstances like that. But instead, this is how Paul frames it. He says, and this is Philippians chapter 1, now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, and here he's talking about his horrible arrest and being sent to Rome to be on trial, something that all of us would look at and see as being terribly unfair. He says, What has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Do you see that? He reframed his circumstances. Check out what else he says. He says, As a result, It has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Paul's saying, what's happened to me, it's actually been great for God's mission. There are these dudes who are forced to watch me while I'm arrested, and I get to tell them over their entire shift about who Jesus is. Each day, they're forced to stand there and guard me and listen to me tell them about how amazing Jesus is. And you know what else? Because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Do you see what's happening? Paul could have framed the circumstances this way and focused on all the bad parts, the chains, the imprisonment, his impending execution. But instead, He chooses to focus on this part. He says that the gospel is being advanced. The Christians are emboldened by my imprisonment. It's not the facts that are different. It's the way that he chooses to frame it. So let's talk about a few different ways that we can learn to reframe our circumstances to help us follow Jesus more closely. Now I want to give you three tools about how to reframe your perspective. First, sometimes we need to learn to thank God for what didn't happen. Pretend you're driving to work. You briefly look out your window to the left. Maybe there's a traffic stop and your curiosity gets the best of you. And in that fraction of a second where you're looking out your window, the guy in front of you slams on your brake, and you do not have enough time to slow down, and you hit them. And it's only a fender bender, but it still stinks. You're going to get a ticket. Your insurance is going to go up. You're not happy. The people you hit are not happy. But you know what didn't happen? You didn't get hurt. They didn't get hurt. Instead of thinking, God, could my day go any worse? Now I'm going to have to tell my spouse how I crashed the car. And everyone at work is going to ask why I'm late, and I'm going to have to tell them is because I'm a negligent driver. Instead of thinking all of that and letting it spiral out of control, we can thank God for what didn't happen. God, thank you no one got hurt. Thank you that my car is not totally ruined. Thank you for giving me a job that when I get in a fender bender, they understand and won't fire me. When we learn to thank God for what didn't happen, it changes our frame of reference from the negative to the positive. Secondly, we can practice something called pre-framing, which is basically where we decide beforehand how we want to frame a situation. You can go into a meeting at work pre-framing it like this. Oh, this is going to be so terrible. I don't like these people. I don't want to sit through their presentation. I have no desire to go to this meeting. Or you can choose to pre-frame it differently. I may not be excited about this meeting, but I do have this opportunity to show people that I care about them. I can show people in this meeting how I do care about the work that we do and I'm trying to work like Jesus instructs me to work. Or maybe your wife wants you to go out with your growth group friends. And it's a Saturday night and you could say, ah, I'm so tired, I worked so hard this week, these people drive me crazy, I'm actually just tired of people in general, all I want to do is go home, sit on the couch, and binge watch Cobra Kai. <laughs> or, you could preframe it better and say, I may be tired, I may have had a long week, but this is really important to my wife, and I love her. And these are our friends, and we want to have good, meaningful relationships with them. And I can have fun even if I'm tired. This will be a good time. It starts with a conscious effort to pre-frame your circumstances. And third, we can get into the habit of trusting in God's goodness by looking for evidence of His goodness in our life. One of the best ways is to regularly take a look back at the last week or month or year or five years and ask the question, where has God's goodness been evident to me? Where have I seen God be good and faithful in my life? Just as an example, about five years ago, I applied for a job, and I really wanted it. It was at a dream church, a great location, the set of senior leaders, I admired them a ton. Well, they interviewed me, and then they interviewed me again, and then they interviewed me again, and things were looking really good, and I was very excited. But then I got that dreaded email Thanks for spending time with us over the last few weeks. Unfortunately, we've decided to go with a different candidate. It's like the first words you see when you read that email, different candidate. I was crushed. I thought this was going to be the next step in my career, a great opportunity for me. It was going to put me and Meredith in a community that we wanted to live in and that was in a place that was closer to Meredith's work. It was everything that we had been praying for, but I did not get it. Now, I wish I could tell you something really cool and obvious about God's provision, like, uh, you know, a few months down the road, that church started to have budget issues, and you know whose position they cut? But that did not happen. What actually happened is that I kept working at the job I had, which I didn't love, and Meredith kept working at her job, which had a really long commute, and honestly, it was a really hard time for us. Our finances were super tight, we didn't have a lot of time together because of our work schedules and commuting issues. But looking back, it was an extremely important time for us as a couple. We learned how to navigate less than ideal circumstances together. And it was a really important time for my, for me professionally, too, because I learned how to try and work with integrity even at a job that I didn't like. And during that time, God gave us some really great friendships, and mentors that are still important to us. When I look back, it's super clear how God used those few years to do a lot of work in my soul and in our marriage. And I could choose to look back at those years and say, ugh, what a terrible time. I hated it. It was the worst. Or I can look back and look for God's goodness and say, thank you, God, for how you used that time to shape us for your purpose. When we spend time looking for and recognizing God's goodness in less than ideal circumstances, it develops trust so that when we are in situations that we don't want to be in, instead of saying, ah, God, you never give me what I want, we can instead say, God, I don't understand why this is the route you've chosen for us. In fact, I don't know if I will ever understand this, but I know that you have been good to me, and I trust that you will continue to be good to me, and I will seek to live for your glory even in these circumstances. To sum up, our minds are a battlefield, and one of the things that's often a struggle for many of us are negative and overly critical thoughts that ruin our joy, our relationships, and our ability to live the lifestyle Jesus has for us. To fight those negative and overly critical thoughts, we can practice the refrain principle and shift our focus from what is wrong to what is right and to what God is doing. And by doing this, what we end up doing over time is we slowly start to correct our broken filters. So church... Spend some time thanking God for what didn't happen. Choose to preframe your circumstances and look for God's goodness. Let's pray. Lord, thank you again for this chance to gather and for this series about fighting the war in our minds. Lord, I ask that we can walk away from this series equipped with some tools that will help us lean into what you're doing in our minds so that we can intentionally take captive every thought and make it obedient to you. Lord, in this, help us see positive results over time so that our lives may continually move in the direction of the right thoughts and not the wrong ones. We ask all of this in your name. Amen.